0: Welcome back, book lovers. Here we are, Phil Svitek, Emerissa Seraphine, and I. We are here for our October book choice. It is Stranger With My Face by Lois Duncan. This was my choice. Oh, man, what a ride. We're going to get all into it. Spoiler heavy. If you haven't read the book or seen any movie adaptations, pause us, go read the book, and then come back to us because we're going to talk all about it. Um, Yeah, lots to discuss. Phil, what were your quick thoughts?
1: Uh, Well, certainly an interesting selection for you, uh, given given the genre, but uh, it is by the same author. I didn't realize that uh, uh, I know what you did last summer was actually a book. So same author. And, you know, so I kind of found that out before reading the book. So I was like, oh, okay, this is a, this is gonna be a horror thing. Uh, It's more of a thriller than a horror in that sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not quite, I mean, I've not, I've only seen, I know what you did last summer. I've not read the book. Um, This feels kind of like much more young adult horror than true, you know, like let's say Stephen King horror or something like that. Um, But it has its moments. And I think overall I enjoyed it. I think some things could have, I mean, it's a relatively short book, but I think some things could have been quickly pacing or more so, um, I just had a, a bit of an issue with the thought process of the, uh, the the main character, Lori. You know, she at times, I don't know, just kind of it's like realize this girl, you know. And sometimes, like I, I'd rather have spent. It got so interesting towards the end, and it kind of yada yada is it versus just exploring it because that to me is the bulk of what's fascinating, you know. Anyway, interesting. Overall, uh, overall enjoyable, but you know um could have been improved here and there
0: i see yeah and so this this book was written or published in 1981 so take ourselves out of today's technology and our era um so you go back to again with the 80s a family with like n- n- there's not technology there's not ways of communicating and finding each other in that way not as up-to-date as we are in today's society um so like you, you get back into that, like the simple minimalistic type of family lifestyle. You're like, okay, yeah, this is believable. Yeah. People used to like this. Um, I agree. Like the first half, uh, it was more like, Oh, thriller, thriller, this guy's or gr- this girl's going to kill me. Um, scary in that way. Not going to lie. Like once my anxiety, let me get past the first hundred pages. Then I was like, Oh, it's cooking. Now, like, now we there was a switch especially when we get into the actual projection part i was like oh now it went from horror to psychological thriller it got more like physically scary to mentally scary um and that's where the switch was in for me we'll definitely talk about it uh yeah i'm not really into i mean i do like psychological thrillers not really into horror i have seen i know what you did last summer so many times you know being a big Sarah Michelle Gellar fan, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Definitely, you know, the, the peak 90s era. um, Like, and that was an amazing cast of that movie. I didn't realize it was a book either. um, And I didn't also, uh, kudos to like Louis, Louis Duncan. Like, I didn't know it was written by a female. So awesome. And uh, I figured we'd do this one because this is probably one her, one of her lesser known ones. And so I like to spotlight other books that people should also be aware of by good authors. And uh, this one popped up. I heard about this one, quite honestly, through a podcast someone else was talking about. I was like, oh, sounds fascinating. And then this was a good opportunity, I thought, for us to read it, especially being Halloween time, October. And here we are now talking about it. Um, Yeah. So the main book, really, it's uh, about Laurie, a young 16, 17 year old high schooler. Um, You know, it it takes place like over the course of a year ish. And it's really about she starts off knowing that there's this lingering presence in her house, in her area. Um, She noticed things are kind of off kilter, like someone's been in my room, but I haven't been here. And she's bringing it up towards her families and her friends are saying that, oh, hey, we saw you, but you weren't here. But we thought we saw at least you. Um, So what do you think of this build up of this side I shouldn't say side character, but like the the secondary character of Leah, who ends up being Laurie's identical twin sister. But what what would you think of the buildup of just like her presence and how she makes herself known to Laurie's family and friends?
1: Yeah, I mean, at that point in time, you don't really know what it is, right? Is it supernatural? Is it someone faking her identity, trying to ruin her life? It could be any number of things. And certainly the way that it was... Um, supposedly handled. Uh, Leah is there, you know, on the on the beach um, at a party that she's not at because she's sick, you know. And then they're like, "Hey, you weren't sick. You lied." And what I also like about it, it's not just a one-way thing. It's like, okay, they found you supposedly lying, but the reason they found that was because you were making out with, uh, you know, one of the best the friends. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, it's, it, it escalates the teenage emotions of it all where there's no real right and wrong in any of it. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, the frustration on her part to not be... be she, a, she doesn't know what is going on. B, she can't really explain it to people and they don't believe her that like, hey, that wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, whatever. You're a liar. Um, and so I appreciate that. And I thought the setting... You know, having to like bust them to the ferry, to the school and stuff like that every day. It's like it becomes unavoidable in terms of the, the human interactions. So I thought that was really well done of the cattiness of it all, then the supernatural maybe elements.
0: Yeah, I have to admit, I I enjoyed the the mysterious kind of setup because there were so many friends and family who claimed they saw her but yet couldn't like fully corroborate her stories and her situations like her her father was like oh I thought I saw you but he was too busy in his own writing world be like yeah you know everyone's kind of on autopilot like yeah I saw you but I wasn't like thinking much, much of it at the time so when they go back to it they're like oh did that really happen did that not and that happened so many times with Lori and her friends they're like oh yeah but we didn't You know, we we just assumed it was you and no one's like fully aware. And it gets Lori even thinking like, did I really do it? Was I dreaming? Was that I was just, you know, going into my autopilot mode? So like, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I was like, what can we believe? Because, you know, that that's the whole like there are statistics of people, you know, witnesses to crimes. And when they have to go back and recount what they quote unquote saw, a lot of it's um, incorrect because yeah. they're not fully paying attention to the details so it's kind of like that same way it's like who's really telling the truth who really saw what they saw and uh that part was confusing in a sense but I liked it because it made everyone's like uh you know question like what's really happening we yeah. really don't know um so I thought that was an interesting setup um but it gets Lori questioning everything they're like why how can there be two of me she goes and snooping a little bit for um her family background, finds out she's adopted and confronts her parents, and her parents actually tell the truth about this. So, what do you think of? Do you think this like whole adoption twins? Um, only adopting one child. I mean, this isn't the first time we've seen this kind of story, but uh, did you think this kind of trope work for this mystery? Um
1: i mean i i liked it um the thing that so the mom had the same, same experience and um meg also the the sister had a, an experience where she saw Lori's reflection quote unquote and you know it's there's that also trope of like kids kind of see more than adults right um, Yet we don't believe them and so she saw laurie floating uh but of course it wasn't Lori. Uh, and she felt a wickedness. Now, the mom explains the same thing. She held the young baby. They want to adopt both, essentially, but she held the one child and she just felt like pure evil. Um, and that side of it, like, I like that as a complication, but not that I needed it explained. Um, there was just something about it where it didn't I don't know. I'm trying to grapple with the idea, like, is she really evil or you know, as we learn Leah's back history, it kind of becomes not uh, as a way of like justifying it, but it's understandable why she's essentially trying to do what she's trying to do. Right. So it's like it's an opposition of each other. Well, is she evil, or did life circumstances lead her to do it?
0: Right, and that's where you question the whole nature versus nature, uh, nurture kind of like how you grew up versus how was it biologically ingrained in you you know and speaking as an adoptive person like i well like we get those kind of questions internal questions all the time you're like did i inherit this behavioral trait from my adoptive parents my adoptive family or is this something that was like genetically ingrained in me it's like we get the we get those questions all the freaking time um so when now Lori finds out the truth about her adoption and now she's questioning like ah huh her, like now she's no learning about her native american history she was part of that navajo parts uh navajo and um their history um that they have history with astral projection now we get into the supernatural type of element of this book quite honestly did not expect this book to go that direction um i only read the book the premise of like oh evil twin i was like yes all for it and then it went into and this is where it switched with me so uh i want to hear your thoughts of the introduction of actual projection and do you think this was believable in the way that they set it up
1: yeah i i think so i mean they did a good job of really i mean whether or not like the studies they got is beside the point, whether or not they're true, they're true in the story. Right. And so, uh, I, I appreciated that it was very skill-based and things like that. And even when Lori is trying to learn how to do this, um, it takes her a bit. And so there's an internal logic to all of it that is consistent. So I can, you know, I I very much appreciated that. Um, it just, uh, kind of came to a head way too fast at the end. (laughs) you know that's the only issue i have with it as a plot
0: yeah you know what i really didn't have that much of an issue with it because we see supernatural shows all the time we see superhero characters all the time in that way when they first like develop a quote-unquote skill that's beyond the the normal um realm and then you know so like she learns about the projection And but like we do see like if it was translated into uh, a film adaptation, this would be the montage version. Like her just trying over and over and over again, trying to astral project, failing, getting snapped back to her body. Um, We we just see like ten takes of her failing. Um, But it gets to the point where she finally like starts. I wouldn't say master, but starts to get a hold of it. And now she's like learning more information about her friends information about Leah she finds out that or uh, she does have an identical twin sister named Leah in uh Albuquerque, New Mexico because she finds out there is a time difference Leah only shows up in the afternoon which means she's busy in the morning so what happens there's got to be a time difference there um so Lori's you know actual projection finding herself learning more about Lori's background or sorry Leah's background and Uh, the way that she grew up um, bouncing around from foster home to foster home. Um, But what did you think of Leah's mentality of trying, like, first of all, attempting to kill her uh, future adoptive family sister. um, And, but like how that spirals Leah's background.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, it's, I, I, I didn't have an issue with her in particular, um, more so, like, Lori, like, don't you see the signs? Like, she won't tell you anything about her. She's snapping at you to, like, master astral projection. Why? Because she needs you to visit her but won't tell you about her personal life. She doesn't let you have any friends. Um, which, I guess, if there's any side to it, it's like, uh, Leah, if you're trying to, like, have this life, wouldn't you want all the friends? <laughs> you know? Like, right. I understand, you know, Gord, you would want to be with Gordon the hot guy. you know. Uh, and stuff like that. So it's kind of interesting in that way. Yeah, if anything, I just have an issue with Lori not catching on as quick. Um, And also her her writing is interesting because she always refers to mother and children as opposed to my brother, sister, kids, or whatever. It's just the children, the children.
0: The children. Well, and also I think that was a nice distinction between the two because we see that Leah doesn't really have that actual natural inherent you know family connection so she sees it as people not as brother not as there's a more intimacy level when you when you say sister mother father you know um so you can tell the difference there's a disconnect between leah and just like her personal people that she has um or lack thereof and but i like that distinction because it shows oh because you know we see Lori once she starts questioning everything and like she goes on a teenage fit like you're my real family you're not my brother and sister yada. yada. and then like as the story progresses she realized oh no they are my family i kind of need them i do care about them and um so you see the importance of how family really does ground lori and that's what leah's been wanting this entire time the way she goes about it not the conventional way and not a very um, ethical way i guess you can say but you can understand Leah's motivation. It's um, really out of jealousy, knowing that, you know, that she could have had that life, too. Like, had she been adopted? She could have had a successful family, a loving family a supportive family in that way. And she she didn't. And that's all she was trying to do. Um, yes, so no, I did mean, you, yeah, when she did when you sympathize she, with Leah.
1: I mean, it got a little bit difficult because once she does get into Lori's body, you know, that aside, in terms of a judgment wouldn't she want to embrace the family and be like, Hey, let's have game night. Hey Meg, like let's hug. What, what, you, you you know what I mean? Like, right. and, and feel that love and maybe she would be awkward about it because she's never experienced it, but she's longed for it. And yet like, you know, she just does all the things not wrong, but it intentionally just like you're a brat, get the hell out of here.
0: Yeah. You it's know? like she finally got the family and then she's treating them like, like dirt <laughs> why
1: yeah so it's like you've already ruined your life in that sense which okay understandable here is your second shot and you're about to go to juvie on day one yeah <laughs> you know so that that's where i had the issue with L- leah
0: yeah i did question that i was like leah it's like uh, i get it you're jealous you're also angry you have anger issues um that's what therapy is for <laughs> But also, yeah. My question because when we find out that Leah tried to kill her uh, adoptive sister just so she could be the the sole heir and the sole responsibility um, for the the parents parents can take care of her. Um, and now she was kind of doing the same thing with Lori's family. Like, all right, now that I have Lori's body, get rid of the the siblings, and then the parents will only care about me. Um, very very selfish
1: in that way. And uh. Short-sighted too. I mean, you know, yeah. if two of your kids die, I'm pretty sure they would be grieving and maybe they would want to show love to Lori, but you know, they would just kind of be broken. So not a lot left to give.
0: Yeah, that was <laughs> just her her ass backwards way of thinking. It's like if I'm the only child, like I'm the only one they can give attention to. And I need I deserve this attention because I never got in touch in my entire life. Um, yeah, yeah it's a it's a very twisted way of her her logic. <laughs> um so like that I, I do kind of sympathize. I was like, oh, I get how you got there, but also being having a conscious, you know, that's not the proper way to go about it. Um, I do want to go into Lori's friends. Um, they did play a big um pivotal role in in the story, especially with Helen and Jeff. Um, you speaking of Helen, cause Helen, one of the many victims of Leach, actually lured her into the park almost killed her via overnights and like slipped on ice and almost died of hypothermia. Um, so, and then we had Jeff <laughs> trying to help um, Lori with the, the actual projection information in the books and stuff. So what, what were your thoughts of Lori's friends and helping her along her journey?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, Helen obviously was the most sort of beneficial and um, kind of was the catalyst of all of it, right? Her social circles, um, mm-hmm. as well as her battle against Leah. And, you know, it was her that kind of came up with the notion and, and saw Lori for who she was, right? Her sort of background introduced her to the, you know, Native American sort of mythology or belief system. And, uh, yeah, it's a shame that, you know, the, per- the one person who knows the most, and obviously that becomes the big threat, so therefore she's the first to go, Um and in the end, like, she kind of suffers a very tragic fate where she remembers none of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the dad's like, we'll just keep you updated. She's doing fine. Don't, don't contact her. <laughs> Let yeah. her live her life. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, at least with Lori and Jeff, like, they found each other. And, you know, Jeff got a happy ending because uh, Lori's parents are going to pay for a surgery. So, Hurrah.
0: Yeah. Whereas Helen,
1: you know, she's like, all right, well, you're not dead. So good for you.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think it also just shows how much Leah really inflicted Laurie's life, because you think about it, Helen suffered the, the mental aspect of Leah's downfall and then just suffered the physical aspect. So you, you had physical and, and mental. And then Lori was kind of like in between, because <laughs> unfortunately, Laurie falls down the rocks side cliff there with with jeff too gets gets stuck but that i feel like this was the moment where like you know how there's always that turning point with the character like okay now i really gotta get a handle on my skills or else like the the plot's not gonna move forward this was like that moment where laurie's like i gotta like learn my asshole projection now or else we're gonna die um and then fortunately she was Successful. Her brother saw her and and found the two and rescued them in that way. But and then you know the whole uh final switching when Leah finally takes over Laurie's body for a while because you know Laurie it gets to the point where kind of Laurie kind of accepts her fate. Like, well, all right, if I can't have my body back, I'm just going to hang around for as long as my conscience will let me and see what my friends and family are up to. Um, but then if you think about it, it's like really Lori's family and friends save her yeah. um not not Lori. It was really her her support system. So what, what were your thoughts of that?
1: Yeah, I mean like right I mean Helen, as we mentioned, played like a huge role and it was her gift that that allowed essentially the exorcism or whatever you want to call it of <laughs> turquoise
0: eagle necklace that helps ward off evil spirits
1: yeah and so again that that was another sort of uh, call towards okay leah is just evil um Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean that uh i understood it yeah it, it just kind of it happened and then like we wrapped things up very quickly of like and then life kind of went on um yep and then, she, you know, if anything, like the fact that Leah still exists there and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Um, it's it's something that like much like the character of Lori, you know, sits with her and she started grappling with, you know, what does it mean? Do I does she have any responsibility towards Leah? She knows where Leah is, um, you know, and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it's not a. i I like that it's not an easy solution you know right and 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 whatnot it leaves you conflicted for sure
0: right and she kind of has this like now inherent twin sibling obligation like well i should care about her She, she is my sister um, I feel bad that her body stuck in a mental institution, like the moment I read that I was like she she has to be locked up. <laughs> um, because apparently even the adoptive father was like, uh, No, you can't visit her. I was like, Oh, yeah, she she's definitely institutionalized right now. Um, so like, and I I thought the whole finding Leah, um, that was a little too quick. <laughs> uh, but you know, you, you have to move the story forward. But, you know, I, and I did like that. It was the family. It was the friend because there there was a point where Lori was just like so adamant, like, no, I don't I don't need anybody. And yet she needed everybody to help her. <laughs> um, and just the irony of that. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, she essentially found her way back to her family. Um, no longer does she need to do anything else. And even. um you know, the whole Leah aspect of it was resolved as far as her father, you know, um, because he got the call from the other adoptive dad who updated her dad. Mm-hmm. And it was like, let's not tell mom. <laughs> we know what happened, let's not tell mom, and that's it.
0: Right. And I think I um I, I kind of want to bring this up the the adult ignorance versus the youth innocence and how we saw how it really played in um in this book, especially with Lori's parents being the adults, they can only think a certain way. And they're like, oh, you're lying to us. You're, you're snooping through our, our files and stuff. And they're just so, they just don't believe Lori, and they think she's lying. Um, but her younger siblings, we had Neil and Meg, who can, that that youthful innocence and naivety, they're like, oh, no, we, we know who Lori is. Um. So, like, what were your thoughts about, like, the adult logic first, the youth innocence where they they were the ones who really could tell Lori apart from like who she really was as a person
1: yeah i mean um i th- i think with the parents certainly right there was that baggage and in particular the mom right where she felt very torn uh because she made the decision we're just going to get even though they're twins we're going to separate the twins because one is the evil incarnate don't know why mm-hmm. she just picked it up. And it was like, no, thank you. Not today. The mother
0: instincts kicked in like, nope, nope, don't like this one.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, and I appreciate how it was handled because, you know, it's like, well, why would you even adopt, try to adopt twins? Why couldn't you just find somebody that's like a single child or whatever, if that's all you could do. And so at least the backstory that was given was very believable. Um mm-hmm. And you could tell, like, they cared about her and um, they did what's best for her and stuff like that. And so it is a sensitive subject. So they're going to miss the clues um, more easily, you know?
0: Yeah. And then, like, uh, you got to give it to the siblings who essentially saved our life multiple times. <laughs> it was like Neil found her in the, in the fallen Within the Rocks and Meg was the one who distinguished Leah versus um lauren the ghosty ghosty leah so like you gotta give it to kids sometimes you know like people overlook kids but i love when kids are smarter than the adults or you know kids are like the the ones who are like oh no they they really know more than what's really meets the eye um and we saw that in this and um going back to this is it this book was written in the 80s so this was like pre-cell phone boom pre-internet um, if you had to look something up, you had to dial the operator, be like, yo, give me this state, give me this um, town, give me this person. Like you had to find, you had to call someone to connect you to someone else instead of oh, so looking up and Googling. Calls. It is.
1: Like, I mean, you um, it's like, so oh, rampant. Right. <laughs> like,
0: and my, I, I think my question is, is like, do you think this story would be believable if it was written in the 21st century?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to modernize it a little bit, but I think there's a, yeah. you know, way to go about it that makes it inherent for what it is, right? Um, but I think it just adds to it the whole thing. I mean, I, I love the part when the dad knows what Lori did, and he's she's like, "How did you know?" And he's like, "I saw the phone bill. He made a long <laughs> distance call. I saw the phone bill."
0: Yeah, I gotta you follow know? up with
1: that. <laughs> you know, whereas now, again, nowadays, it's it's just different, right? Like you know you can call anyone in the in the us we just take it for so granted it's it's no different than calling local you know
0: yeah just google someone and like you see their whole life history in like two minutes
1: yeah so um um, yeah it just it just would have been different um in that way but yeah i i i do uh i do like you know things that are kind of up their time and yeah it feels in some sense like an 80s thriller you know like a good thriller yeah. so um it was all there uh, i enjoyed it and yeah i mean now i mean i'm not saying that astral projection exists necessarily but like certainly like we we as a society have done a lot more research into the spiritual realm and stuff like that and so for it to kind of be at the, at the start of it here um you know and, and and stanford and stuff like that i i appreciate that at least they attempted to justify everything and made it work so again the internal logic of it right for me really worked and i mean that's what kick started off was her distress and that need to project and then once she knew that she could do it she knew that feeling so it's like reverse engineering it as opposed to starting from scratch not knowing where you're going or what you're doing
0: right um And yeah, I, I like that because even Lois Duncan, the, there has been revised publications of the story since the original publication with updated technology. Um, but Duncan herself said that she introduced cell phones in the revised version because uh, many of the plots that she writes, she has the protagonists be in dangerous situations and who aren't able to reach out the outside world and that's like where the struggle um comes in um so yeah it's like technology can really do save people's lives and the lack of it causes more jeopardy and i think that's the that's the thrill part it's like oh no how do they get themselves out of this situation or you flip
1: it on its head like scream thinking scream did a great version of it where you know, it's got all this technology and then all, of a all sudden, the phone calls, <laughs> well, the phone calls, but you know, they lock themselves in the house and it's, you know, like everything's smart technology, but then the person is able to control the smart technology and unlock the locks. And mm-hmm. what are you going to do? You know what I mean? So it, it, you can lean into it. You can, so it, it, it all works. It just, you have to be clever in how you use it.
0: Yeah. So. Um, overall I did, uh, I did like the story uh, once, you know, I got past the I ha- I had to stop this a few times. My anxiety was like, oh, uh-uh, don't like this. Th- There's a girl staring at her with evil eyes. And then there was another part where she she woke up and the girl was like literally looking over her um, with an evil smile. I was like, no, 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 don't like that. I got to go to bed right now. Um, so <laughs> I stopped it a few times. Uh, but like once we got to the actual projection, I was like, all right, OK, now now uh, I'm more excited. susceptible to that because i don't know i i loved supernatural um charmed is one of my all-time favorite shows ever and the character Prue, the oldest actually one of her physical or one of her active abilities is astral projection and i think that show actually does a great job of visualizing what it does to the corporeal body um, when the astral projection is doing something else, the the body itself is kind of um vulnerable. It's like anyone could kill the body because it's just there, um, and you know you and I were both into uh, Avatar, Last Airbender, and Legend of Korra, and they do a lot of spiritual projection in that way, which is basically their own version of astral projection, too, um, going into the spirit world. So, like, you can see a lot of modern shows and um, movies and stuff that, like, really do delve into their own version of astral projection and how it's evolved over the decades. And um, I I definitely say, check out those shows if you really want, like, a better understanding of astral projection and what it actually does um and so when we got that in in the book i was like all right yeah i'm for this i like this
1: yeah when um, it comes to uh when it comes to astral projection it's like the russian roulette musical chairs you know that'd be like a fun like hey there's gonna be four bodies go who you got you know when the music stops go grab a body there's, there's yeah, six of you.
0: also <laughs> i mean hey speaking of you know um sarah michelle Gellar, like there's an amazing scene And I got it. Now I'm going to show my age. (laughs) Scooby-Doo, the 2002 live version. There's a whole scene where their spirits are switching bodies like for 10 minutes. It's great. Um, It's also like, you know, there are so many different versions of what you can consider out of body experience. So projection, people experiencing other bodies but yet still aware of what's happening. Oh, it's amazing. I'm gonna go watch that movie after this. <laughs> uh so this book actually got um a lot of recognition as as it should. Um it won the Massachusetts Children's Books Award and the California Young Reader Medal. Um, it was named New York Times Notable Book of the Year and American Library Association Best Book for Young Adults in 1981. And the staff at University of Iowa selected the novel for the following year's book for young adults. So it was like really big in the young adult um fiction story. And then, you know, going into Lois Duncan, I've never read any of her books. Um, definitely have heard of her, and uh because you know, I know what you did last summer, but like she has an interesting history. She she grew up in or she was born in Philadelphia, grew up in Sarasota, Florida, but as um as an adult she moved to uh new um new mexico so that's where like the whole the western kind of side of the world um and plays into her stories and stuff but she she started writing as a teenager and she wrote for 17 she wrote a lot of like articles and stories and stuff so that's kind of how she got into the the teenage youth category and genre because like she was that age and that's what her her writing like was geared towards. So she kind of fell into that and kind of never like really got out of it. Yeah. I mean, she, she wrote hotel for dogs and stuff and other famous series too, but most notably known for young adult fiction and uh, scary (laughs) like that. Um, But she also uh, funny enough, uh, it's not really funny actually, but um, me doing some research on her, she actually has a horror story in real life. Um, her, her real-life daughter, Caitlin Arquette, who was 18 at the time, her youngest of five, was actually chased down and shot to death in Albuquerque, New Mexico, um, back in July of 1989. She, um, Caitlin, had, had fallen in love, got in a relationship with the wrong man, and through him learned about all this criminal activity that were happening, and she was going to blow the whistle on him, broke up with the boyfriend, and was going to call... Uh, called them out and actually got murdered for it. And, but the problem was that the, and the police were, it was a big cover up and, uh, it, there was a lot of protection going on and they gave the case back and it was deemed unsolved, still a cold case. Um, and they just kind of, they're like, nope, nope, it never fully got solved. But that was the, 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 catalyst for lois writing the story who killed my daughter which like really propels her forward in the the horror mystery um fiction aspect but it was like really based on her a real life tragic event so she's seen a lot of horrors in her life too like oh wow that's scary i can't imagine having that kind of life that that's unfortunate um but yeah i mean Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, she has passed away. Um, but her her work, you know, outlives her. We're, we're still reading it, and, and you know what? I'm kind of I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm curious to read her other books. So now maybe I'll I'll read. I know what you did last summer. I've seen that movie multiple times, and I'm not a horror fan whatsoever. <laughs> so like, eh, I know what happens. Um, so anything else about this book? Uh, about Lois that we may have missed or you'd like to bring up?
1: No, I mean, overall, it was an enjoyable book. Certainly, you know, I could see if you're kind of in the teenage years, really being into this, you know, Um, and that goes for guys, women, it doesn't matter, right? I think, uh, you know, especially like in middle school, I think this would be like one of those like, okay, it's fun, but it's also scary. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's like a great age to read that, read this book. You know, so.
0: right? Um, yeah, you do have to finish off that. Leah does actually pass away, and I, I think there there was a moment where, uh, Lori's father is informing her, um, after the him finding out about the long distance vocal, they're like, "Oh no, Leah did um did actually pass away. Her body is no longer there. Therefore, not." Posing the threat that she will ever taunt you,
1: again. but her presence is there.
0: <laughs> but her presence is there. Um, so, well. but and, and I think there there was a nice because you, even if you read at the beginning of the book, the whole story, the main story, is basically a flashback um, because yeah. Leah's reflecting on what happened a year ago, <laughs> and now when we get to the end of the book, now or, or now Lori's eighteen; she's off to college, and she's like, okay. I had this happen to me, but now I can move on with my life. Okay. Um, and I think Lois does, Lois does that. It's like, Oh, it was always like a year, like look back a year ago. Like I know what you did last summer. I know what you did. Like Leah taunted you last year. So, you know, um, that's a recurring thing with her writing, I guess. Uh, overall, I actually did enjoy it once I got past the the scary horror part and in into the supernatural. I was like, yep. All right. Got it. You got me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's talk about uh, books that you've read for fun, Phil.
1: Um, so not that many, just one, but it is called Remember Love. It uh, only came out this week, technically, um, but it's a book of poems. So um, uh, it's the full title is Remember, Remember Love, Words for Tender Times by Cleo Wade. And uh, yeah, you know, I don't read much poetry, but there's really great, great poems in here. And, you know, I think part of it is, you know, uh, depending on what speaks to you at any moment, right? I think uh, it's one of those you can pick up at any point, you know, and just open to a page and get something out of it, or you can read from start to finish. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun.
0: Oh, nice. Very nice. Um, I just picked up a book myself. This is actually an older book from the 90s. Um, the Name of the Wind. Um, by patrick rothfuss this is actually book one in the king chronicles series i've actually been looking for this book for a while i went to like three four different bookstores no one had it um and then of course i went to Bards and nobles trying to find another book and then this one was like right in front of my face i was like oh of course i should have just looked in the most obvious place um you know occam's razor indeed and uh so i finally picked it up i was like yeah why not and uh so i'm, I'm probably going to delve into that one soon. Um, speaking of move books and stuff that we're going to dive into, Phil, let's talk about the the two upcoming books you have.
1: Sure. So we've got The Legend of Bagger Vance, which is by Stephen Pressfield. Most people sort of know him from The War of Arts and things of that nature. But the reason he was even able to write all those books and become successful is because he also has a successful fiction side to him. Uh, most notably, Legend of Bagger Vance, which is also a very great movie with uh, Matt Damon, Will Smith. Um, I believe Charlize Theron is not it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to definitely watch that movie um, when we talk about this. But um, I'm a little bit into it. Uh, so far, pretty good. Then uh, a fun one for Christmas. We have Skipping Christmas, which is by John Grisham. And Marissa thought that it was a murder mystery. Well, having read it, it is not. It's actually the basis for the movie Christmas with the Cranks, which I've not actually seen, um, nor do I tend to because I hear it's bad. But the the book itself, (laughs) I've I've already read this partly why I don't have like other books that I've read because I'm just getting ahead on our actual reading list and now going to enjoy some. Anyway, Skipping Christmas, (laughs) relatively short. And as the title implies, this couple tries to skip Christmas. Hilarity ensues. And uh, I think it'll be a lot of fun to discuss. So we've got that for yeah. December.
0: Awesome. And I chose ours for the upcoming 2024 year. Wow. It's <laughs> it's not that far away. Can you believe that? Um, we're going to read uh, Anxious People by Friedrich Bachmann. Um, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Uh He's most notably known for uh, A Man Called Ove. So I, I don't know. I like picking the, the lesser known stories of known stories of authors. So we're going to read that. It's, it's actually a lighter, fun ensemble kind of story. Um, delves around the new year, but not quite about the new year. But it's about different types of personalities. They're thrown into a situation and craziness. Also ensues, so it's one of those where you're like, who's telling what? What's really true? Can we believe you or not? Craziness, craziness, craziness. So I I thought that'd be a fun, witty, quirky one to start the year off.
1: Yeah, and then we get into February, the Earth of Mankind. Um, so this is a it's going to be a heavy book, but it's a relatively well, I guess, it's like three hundred forty pages, give or take. Um, but it's from an Indonesian writer. So um, it'll be very interesting to kind of explore that part of the world. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So lots of upcoming fun books to read. Uh, Yeah. And we're going to dive into those. Thank you always for tuning in, listening, reading along with us. Phil, what fun things can people follow you at
1: uh follow me at tech and I should have a new updated fun website with all the stuff, including our book club there for you, PhilSvetech.com. So it should be up and running real soon.
0: There you go. And you can follow me everywhere at Serafini TV. Follow us reading books, talking all about them, probably going into the movie adaptations as well. Um thanks everyone for tuning in and we will see you for our next book.